You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers' Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series, The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writers' Centre at writerscentre.com.au. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 55 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo and I'm here with the lovely Alison Tate. How are you, I am lovely. Okay. <laughs> I'm lovely. I'm also extremely excited because book two of the Mapmaker Chronicles is out this week. Woohoo! Yay! Alison's second book in the series. It is. It's called Prisoner of the Black Hawk. and I love that title. It's, I know, so do I. And it's been received with um, open arms, which is brilliant. I'm very, very excited. Very exciting. Can't wait to see it in the bookshops and on the newsstands. No, me either. And, and, and send me selfies. If you see oh, you see yes. it out there in the wild, please, please, please send me selfies. I've got bookmarks to send out to anyone who um, who tags me in a photo of the book that they've seen or that they've read or that they're standing there holding or whatever. I've got fabulous signed bookmarks. So please take a selfie and tag me. I love how that word has come into existence. Selfie or shelfie? Shelfie. (laughs) (laughs) I love it too. It didn't Um, even exist before. I just will say too that the best place to tag me is Facebook or Twitter because as we've discussed at length, I'm not that great at Instagram. Okay. Yeah. So put it on Instagram, lovely, but make sure that you tag me elsewhere so that I actually see it, please. And it's also been a big week for another Australian Writers' Centre presenter, Judith Russell. Yay, Judith. Yeah, who's just been announced as the Indie Book of the Year Children's and Young Adult winner. So 2015, very, very exciting. I was so excited when I saw it. And her book, Withering by Sea, is, of course, fantastic. And you may remember that we actually interviewed Judith about writing for children and young adults and illustration in a previous episode of our podcast. So we will link to that in the show notes because definitely worth having a listen to what she has to say. Yeah, fantastic. Congratulations, Judith. Um, so let's see what's been happening in the world of writing and publishing Oh, before week. we do that, I want to oh. know what you've been doing. Oh, what have I been we've doing? We've just talked about me. We've talked about Judith. We haven't talked about you now. <laughs> I have been tying up the um, final bits of a major project that I'm working on. So Ooh. I'm kind of working on a, a big, long transcript in a sense Mm. Uh, and it's been it's just been a huge undertaking there's so many moving parts to it because I write non-fiction I there's lots of research so there's graphs that I need to refer to there's uh, you know pdfs of things that I've sourced information from so it's quite a big 
um, exercise to make sure that it's all in one spot, it's all referenced, it's all clear. So it's not as exciting as saying, hey, my second book is on the shelf, go take a shelfie, <laughs> I'm afraid. But well, that's... you could take a, a shelfie of yourself with my second book and okay. we can share the glory that way. I will, I will. I okay. will. Thank you. Anyway, now let's talk about the world of writing and publishing. What have you got for us? Okay, so I have an interesting link that I came across from the Oxford Dictionary's blog or website and it's um, about signs and symbols and how the names of punctuation marks came about. This is so... This is such a you thing yes. to talk about. This I, is almost as exciting as fonts. But, yes, please continue. <laughs> so the ampersand, which some people, uh, many people know, is the word for the squiggle, the and squiggle, <laughs> as and I used squiggle. to call it before I knew it was the word ampersand, um, is uh, people may not know that in Latin <laughs> and <laughs> please tell me we're not going down that road again. But yes, in Latin, the word "and," as it is in French, is "et," et, and mm-hmm. it's in Latin it's pronounced "et." In French, it's you know it, it, it's a silent t. Uh, but when you actually look at the squiggle, it is actually a merged e and t. So there you I'm, go. I'm looking at the squiggle. Yeah, it's like an e and a t squished. You know. No, no. no. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, what else is there? The the word apostrophe actually comes from a Greek word meaning turn away, apostrophean. Oh. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Turn away. Mm. I think it should come from a word that means take a breath. Well, it yeah, well, okay, maybe. Mm-hmm. The hyphen is also from the Greek word because hyphen joins two words together. So it comes from the Greek word meaning to, together. There oh, well, there you go. There you go. And I could go on, but I you won't. <laughs> so we're not going to talk about colon because that's <laughs> <laughs> that's an interesting one. So it derives from a slightly different Greek word to the anatomical feature. Yes. Um, And the word for the punctuation mark comes from Greek meaning limb or claws. So that that actually makes a lot of sense. Yes, makes sense. But another interesting one I thought I would mention because everyone knows, you know, hashtag selfie or hashtag whatever. (laughs) Well. And it, it come, and obviously it's a hashtag because a hash is used, the little noughts and crosses symbol. Mm. But there is another name, an official name mm. for that hash symbol, and that is Octothorpe. <laughs> mm. Yes. Octothorpe tag. Yes. It was never really going to take off, was it? No. It is said to have been invented by someone called Don McPherson, an employee of Bell Laboratories in mm. the 1960s, in honour of the American athlete Jim Thorpe, with the octo part deriving from the symbols eight so I don't really know that. No, it didn't really make that. Doesn't make a lot of sense. That makes just, no sense. Yeah, I know. In honour of an athlete. Yeah, I know. Because no. there there are eight points in the noughts and crosses. I get that, but what's that got to do with the athlete? <laughs> he just liked him, I guess. Uh, I don't we need know. more of a. We just, you know, we need. Obviously, we need a whole book on this subject. Clearly, yes. Mm-hmm. Well, anyway, could you write that for us, Val? That'd be good. No, but I, I have one. I, I but and I will mention that later in the podcast. Actually. Oh, there you go. Yes. Lovely. Anyway. What else have you got for me? Let's Apart move on. from that, um, the lovely Liz Pulo sent us a uh, link from a blog 
right from the blog right to done and it's 10 tools to help you keep writing now often in these list kind of things they they mention all of these tools that you've just heard they've been done to death and yeah, you yeah. know uh, have seen, seen lots of them but there was one that i found quite interesting called o transcribe and you can find that at otranscribe.com now people obviously do transcribe they need to record interviews and it's quite painful sometimes when you need to transcribe them or sometimes you send them off to a transcriptionist if you want to pay, but other times you're sitting there with your iPhone or your digital voice recorder and you're pressing pause and play and pause and play and all that. But what you do with this is you upload your audio to Otranscribe Mm-hmm. And you don't have to switch it. The, the way the app works is that you can pause, rewind, and fast forward without taking your hands off the keyboard. Oh, clever. Very clever. I know. So I'm very keen to try it out because it is a real pain to have to, you know, keep pausing. If you don't have, the, you know, um, uh, professional transcription software or anything like that, uh, you, you have to do it the manual way. But this mm. is an app that does it for you all online through the browser. I can't believe you overlooked Cliche Finder, though. Like, really? <laughs> I know O-Transcribe is useful, but goodness me. Cliche Finder, which is also on the list of top 10 tools to keep you writing, mm. is a simple app that does exactly what it says. Copy and paste your content in the text box and hit the Find Clichés button. Clever. Oh, I can I think like of that. so many people that could use oh, that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, including me. <laughs> <laughs> For that matter, including me. Oh, that's a good list. It's a really interesting list. Mm-mm. And um, another link that we have, which just warmed the cockles of my heart this oh, week, yep. is um, okay. it's about a writer from Tasmania, from Bernie, in fact, and her name is Marjorie Davy, and she's published her first novel at the age of 95. Oh, 95? Isn't that gorgeous? That's fantastic. Oh, go Marjorie. Yeah, go Marjorie. And, I mean, it's just it just goes to show that it's never too late. Never too late. Yeah. And, people, we should just always keep trying because look at that, 95. Know, 95. It's just amazing. Imagine, like I think also with writing though, I was thinking about this the other day, so good on Marjorie for illustrating the point is that it is something that you can do into your twilight years because it's it's not exactly really active. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of things, like if you're a masseuse, you have to give up at some point. If you're a chiropractor and you're, manip- you're moving people's mm. bodies around, you've got to give up at some point. If you're a surgeon, your eyesight's going to go at mm. some point. But writing is so flexible and so um, such a useful thing to do when you, when you are older because you can always make, you know, your points size bigger you can always you know record things you can always type on your computer so um it's something that i think people should take up as they as they get older and other bits of their body start wearing out. yeah why not you could be like um wasn't it barbara cartland that used to lie in bed wrapped in a feather boa and simply dictate all of her books to a to a um an assistant who took yeah. them down in shorthand yeah, absolutely. Imagine that. I would love that. I would I'd like to lie in my bed and just, you know. With my feather boa, just, yeah. But, you know, I think I would find it very, very difficult because I do think that there is uh, there is something about my writing process that just goes directly from my, I can't 
actually think about what I'm going to write unless I'm sitting at my keyboard with my fingers on the keyboard. Yes, I understand what you mean. I have moments like that where I just go, there's no way I can say it out loud. I just have to put my fingers on the keyboard. There's some connection Mm. there. Yeah, like you don't even know what you're thinking until you actually start typing. Pretty much, yes. There are moments, though, that I can... Um, dictate it and I use that with drag and dictate I do Mm. that with drag and dictate but um, they are there's a real distinction with the type of stuff I can do like that if I'm writing a speech or if I'm writing um, certain kinds of articles I can do that but other times I just absolutely have to have that fingers on the keyboard moment Mm. without that yes Mm. anyway congratulations Marjorie yeah go Marjorie very proud so our writing book this week follows on very well from what we were just discussing because this book is called Anonyponymous. <laughs> Anonyponymous. Okay. Which is the forgotten people behind everyday words. Right. Now, uh, basically it's, it's about people who we don't really know who they are or we haven't really recognised them, but they actually contributed to words that we use every day, like the Earl of Sandwich. Oh. How, how would we eat lunch if not for him? How would we eat lunch? What would we be eating if not for him? Yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, who knows? Imagine what that would be. How mm. would we behead people without Joseph Ignace Guillotine? How would we? How would we have done gymnastics if Jules Leotard never existed? (laughs) We would have had to do it in shorts, Valerie, which would have been very awkward. (laughs) Exactly. So there are some other words, for example, mausoleum. That was actually because there's a guy called Mesolos who had a seriously nice tomb and uh, it, it, it went on to be named one of the seven wonders of the ancient world and it stood for around 16 centuries before it was eventually shattered by earthquakes. So his name, Mosolos, obviously uh, contributed to the fact that it, it's called a mausoleum these days. Also, the, you bet you didn't know this, voltage. Okay. You know voltage as in the know. amount of energy that's I, in I'm, 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 I'm across the idea of voltage, yes. <laughs> It's named by after Alessandro Volta, who was born and raised in Como, as in not Como like Janelli in, in, in Sydney, but you know Como in Italy. And he isn't began, that where George Clooney lives now? I think. He, Speaking of voltage, well, yeah, mm. I think he got married there or something. Darth Vader got married there. Darth Vader. Yeah, you know, in, in one of the prequels. I am your husband. <laughs> Oh, my God. Okay, this this is is getting silly. Continue. But Alessandro Volta was a high school physics teacher with a passion for electricity. So, you know, that's how we get voltage. But this is one of those great books that you don't read from front to back, you know. You you dip into it. You uh, love books like that. I do. I think they're so funny. I mean, not funny, but I think they're just really interesting. It's great trivia. So, um, yes, it's by John Bermelmans Marciano. A, a, a non-eponymous. 
<laughs> I just don't like saying that. There's another great word for us. Exactly. All right, speaking of great words, who is our writer in residence this week? Oh, so interesting. So this week I interviewed Alice Campion, who is the author of The Painted Sky, which has just been so successful, Um, even though it's only been recently released. It's just going gangbusters. But the interesting thing about Alice Campion is that Alice, Alice Campion is five people. Five people? Five people. And uh, so there is a book club in Sydney called The Book Sluts <laughs> because, yes, you heard that right, sluts, <laughs> because they'll read anything. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, these five friends, there are other people in the book club too, but these particular five friends were uh, – in their book club and they're reading all sorts of different books and they just thought, we can write a book. (laughs) (laughs) We should have a crack at that. Yeah, we should have a crack at that. So over some vodka, apparently, this uh, gave birth to the idea that they would write a book together. And it, it's been fascinating. It was fascinating to talk to. I spoke to one of the book sluts, so one fifth of Alice Campion, uh, Jane Richards. And Jane basically went through the process because it actually did take some years, and it had a they had a very good system, and they ended up with a very strong voice single, you know, unified voice for a book that was essentially written by five people. So I won't uh, spoil anything by talking about it all now. Let's hear from Alice slash Jane. Alice Campion is the pseudonym for five friends who challenge themselves to write a 21st century Thornbirds. The result is a rural novel with romance, mystery and suspense. The co-authors are members of a Sydney book club, The Book Sluts, because they'll read anything. And they are Denise Tart, Jenny Crocker, Jane St Vincent Welsh, Jane Richards and Madeline Oliver. We talk to one-fifth of the group, Jane Richards. So thanks for joining us today, Jane. Thank you, Valerie. I'm very happy to be here. Now, The Painted Sky is by Alice Campion, but obviously your name is not Alice Campion, is it? So can you tell us who Alice Campion is to start off with? Okay. Um, Alice Campion is a pseudonym for five, really five good friends who uh, were in a book club together and who, uh, strange set of circumstances, end up writing a book together, which got published. Yes, <laughs> it's very exciting. There are many book clubs around the country who have now got a certain idea in their heads, I'm sure. For those listeners who haven't read the book yet, tell us a bit about it. The book is uh, set between two well, set between two places, Sydney and outback western New South Wales, in a fictional town of Wandala, which is sort of very loosely based on Burke. It's generally the story about a young woman who's feeling a bit lost in her life. She's sort of drifting, uh, and she's the daughter of a, a, a man who went missing many years previously, and he was quite a famous artist. And the book partly involves her search for him. Um, She receives a, this happens quite early on, so it's not a spoiler, she receives a letter from a solicitor out in this town saying that she's inherited a house. And it was the house where her father had lived and which she had visited as a child. So 
she heads out there and that's when things start to happen. Mm. <laughs> now, you have all been good friends for a long time. How long have you been in the book club? Right. Well, the book club um, has been going for about 10 years. Wow. We're called the Book Slubs. We'll read anything. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so it's, it's one of <laughs> That's right. I think, I think um, actually, uh, I maintain that it's probably the best book club that's ever been formed, mainly because I love our ethos in that we only read books. We don't, we sort of stay away from bestsellers. Our main uh, criteria for a book is that one of us has had to have read it and to have loved it. So you often get the scenario where when we meet, which is usually in a pub, we will, one of us will be defending a book or a piece of writing. It doesn't even have to be a book. It can be a piece of journalism. It can be nonfiction. It can be a child story. But one of us has to defend that book. Mm. And that's, I think, is what makes it interesting because you can have <laughs> several people at the end of the night saying, but why do you like it? Why do you like it? <laughs> so it can be, um, it's a good way to uh, get sort of arguments going and and people passionately defending their book. Yeah. I mean, that's a great ethos for a book club. But, you know, there are many book clubs around the country, indeed around the world, who who have these passionate debates, but very few of them then say, oh, let's write a novel together. (laughs) How in the world did this idea come about? Well, it was really um, just a fluke, which was all a bit of a... uh, what, What happened was we'd gone away for a girls' weekend away, um, there were about seven of us, I think, on this particular trip. We went into the to the Blue Mountains in um, Blackheath and the Blue Mountains in New South Wales. And we were there in this book club and meeting, and we were supposed to be discussing our book of the month, which was Crime and Punishment, mm-hmm. which was a little bit heavier than some of the books we'd had um, prior to that. It was a very, if I recall, it was quite a warm afternoon. We were sort of sitting out in the back of this house, and we were wearing Russian hats and having a bit of vodka as we <laughs> we try to keep with the theme of the book. And um, we were chatting away and then one of us said, hmm, wouldn't it be much more fun to be uh, critiquing this book in Russia? And then we got talking about how we could fund a trip to Russia and then we jokingly said, yes, why don't we try and write a bestseller? And <laughs> That's a leap. <laughs> <laughs> it's, we're still pinching ourselves too. So um, from that moment, which was really uh, just a throwaway sort of, you know, thing to do on a weekend. We went and got pens and butcher's paper and we sort of started a very, very basic plot outline of a book that we thought, you know, stupidly thought would, you know, bring us in the rubles straight away. Um, And we were sort of looking at at, uh, producing some sort of throwaway romance novel. But, of course, the drawback was is that none of us had actually read a where we weren't, hadn't really read that genre. <laughs> so um, we were sort of got to it over that weekend and we started writing and over the course of a couple of years, things changed, our whole genre changed, um, but we didn't put down our pens for three and a half years and we actually finished the book. <laughs> wow. So how, I mean, just take me back to the background of the other people in in sure. the book club, you know, had any of them had any experience writing or, you know, what did they bring to the table? All right. Well, first off, the book club has about, I suppose, uh, changing membership, usually between six and nine people. Five of us wrote the book. Initially, there were seven started on the book, but the N5 kept going over that period. So the five of us are myself. Um, I'm a journalist at the Sydney Morning Herald. 
Mm -hmm. I've been a journalist for 25 years, so I'm no stranger to editing mm. <laughs> and uh, a good story. Uh, Jenny Crocker is a uh, former journalist as well, but she's also, she does marketing campaigns for uh, government departments and she's now working on, um, I think it's anti-gambling, she's a big advertising campaign she's doing at the moment. Denise Tart is a marriage celebrant, uh, so she's used to writing great ceremonies and she's also had a background in a bit of performance um, as well. Um, Maddie Oliver is a sort of freelance um, book editor, something that she's been doing, picked up really since this book was published, but she has been involved in academia and history research. And Jane St. Vincent Welsh is a film editor. Right. So um, we've all sort of, you know, we have had, uh, we have got backgrounds to do with, uh, I guess, uh, creative backgrounds mm. and um, and with some writing there. But, but writing uh, a fiction or novel is very different to any of those things, isn't it? That's right. And as I said, when we started, it really wasn't a serious project. Mm. We were just sort of thinking this would be a fun way to sort of, you know, uh, well, first of all, a while away the weekend and then but after that initial weekend we did meet you know every couple of weeks there for a while and we weren't really taking it seriously but then something changed after about I think five or six months where we realized that the the sort of throwaway book we were intending to write didn't quite gel with us as readers because mm. we didn't tend to read that sort of fiction anyway so we decided we we sort of started to um, aim a bit higher mm. and we suddenly, the nature of the whole project changed. So from being a bit of fun, it suddenly became something we were really uh, involved in, very keen to finish. Uh, we were very um, sort of carried away by our characters, I guess, and the story. And I think <laughs> our long-suffering families kept saying, are you going to finish that? I said, really? Are you really going to finish that? And the more people were sceptical, I, I think, um, the more we were determined that we were finished. Of course, we, we didn't have any serious um, idea that it would be published, but it was just um, it was something that we were determined to finish and we're very glad that we did. And so why this idea and this theme? How did this idea even come about? Did some of you live in the country or, well, you know, have absent fathers or, or what? <laughs> Well, we always, uh, from the very beginning, we wanted to write an outback story. Uh, while the five of us are from inner Sydney, we do have uh, ties with particularly uh, regional or, or western New South Wales. Uh, my, my mother is actually from out near Burke. Um, and so there were sort of tenuous links. Jane St Vincent Welsh, uh, she grew up in an isolated property, even though she's right in the middle of Sydney now, it was not always that way. Uh, Jenny had grown up in a regional centre and Denise had spent time as well as a child in the, in the regions. So... And I guess we liked the idea of an outback story. And New South Wales was one, you know, that part of New South Wales was an area where we were a little bit familiar with. Mm. Um, but we also liked the themes of the book. We wanted a romantic story, but we also wanted uh, to look at things, I guess, that everyone is intrigued by. And I guess the, the search for self is one thing. Um, and just... Uh, yeah, as we progressed, the story became much more complex. <laughs> and you mentioned that when you were, you know, just defending your own book choices in your book club, sometimes mm -hmm. you could disagree a lot and yep. wonder how in the world could you like this book. Were there situations <laughs> where there were arguments and disagreements over 
where characters were going to go or where the plot was going to go? Yes, yes, remarkably few um, in retrospect. But when we, there was a disagreement, and we are quite good mates, but we're all quite intense as well when we're together. But uh, we, well, first of all, what we would do, we would talk about, talk it round and round, mm. and then, you know, try and see other people's points of view. But, the, you know, the beauty is with five in a group is that we can then vote but I, on, the, on which way we'll go with a certain thing. But I think in the whole process over about three and a half years, I think we may have only sort of called in the vote two or three times. Mm. So um, because I think what happened was because it became such a uh, real group project in that every scene in the book was completely rewritten by each person Every one of the five of us had to go at rewriting each scene. So no one particularly owned a certain scene. And I think that um, really helped when Random House, when we found out that we had the book published, one of the first uh, things they said to us was that they couldn't believe it was written by five people because it did have a strong one voice. So that's the thing that we were danced around the room when we heard that because that was our big um, driver. We wanted to make sure that the one voice uh, came through. And, and we did have systems in place to make sure that that would happen. So um, let's talk about some of those systems. How did you mm-hmm. – well, actually, why don't we take – let me take you back first. Okay. <laughs> did you plot the whole thing out and then start writing or did you see what happens? Okay. Well, on that very first weekend, we did have a few – I, I remember the, the first day very clearly – we, th- we basically wanted an outback book with a strong romantic theme. Mm. So that was one tick, tick. Then we uh, basically thought, okay, rough plot, uh, the romantic, basic romance plot came out. I think our three or four characters uh, arrived that day and we never got rid of them because mm. they were so good. <laughs> I think what we did is we sat around and we sort of said, well, what do we like reading about? And then we sort of tallied those up thought, well, that would be great. I, I would love to read an awkward, a scene uh, set in an awkward dinner party. So that went in the book. Uh-huh. I would like to see, you know, read about really good sex and really bad sex. <laughs> so that went in the book. And, um, and because initially at this initial point, it was sort of a, a bit of a, uh, you know, as I said, it was a bit of a fun project. Yeah. But then what we, but the nubs of what we came up with then are still in the book. And we decided as time progressed, we would... Uh, carry that original storyline through, but we would add so much more to it. So it, it didn't become a romantic, uh, a standalone romantic uh, Mills and Boone book. Mm. It became uh, something much more different. But I, I guess what we did is we would meet, We would people have this idea that we all sat down together in a room and wrote, mm. um, which we didn't. We would basically get together and plot, plot particular scenes, mm. not chapters, but more like scenes as in you know, A meets B, B uh, falls down a hole. (laughs) Um, And then one of us would put our hands up to say, look, I'll write that one. Mm. Then we all would go away and then email our written scenes to each other. Then we'd meet and then we would swap them around to rewrite. Mm. And that process went on and on and on. (laughs) Wow. Did you do do it in a fairly linear fashion where you – I know you said you only sort of discussed scenes, but were the scenes basically kind of following on from each other or did you jump around? Yes, we did. We did initially start in in that sort of um, way um, only because it was just – 
It was just the way it evolved. But then, of course, when the story changed and we needed to make people slightly different and we needed to, you know, lift a character or add a character or subtract a character, of course, we went back and forward and back. And um, uh, luckily, we're blessed with Denise, uh, who's uh, one of the group, Denise, who's the marriage uh, celebrant. She is a brilliant... We we call her the one with OCD. She's a very very, um, organised person. And she became our keeper of the word, the person that would make sure that we were all working on the same, the correct version, because we would have versions of scenes that we'd all worked on, you know. And uh, she doesn't live far from me, and occasionally I'd hear this. I think I could hear her screaming when she got received by email um, a scene that had been worked on the wrong version, you know, that, that four other people had had worked on separate versions to oh. this last person. So we ended up having a very strict, controlled system of how we wrote this, yes. um, which was great because we ended up with, you know, five pairs of eyes instead yeah. of one on mistakes and and um, and five sets of life experiences we could draw on. But if, So if you all worked on the same scene or rewrote mm-hmm. the same scene, what happened then? You all met up and had a chat about which scene was the best or what happened? Well, we would... Uh, we would be sent away to write a scene. We'd bring the scene back to a meeting mm-hmm. and we, one, the person who wrote that scene would read it out. Mm-hmm. Then we'd make comments, we'd make suggestions. Um, then we'd think, oh, what if that happened instead of that? Or what if this person said this instead of that? And then we'd try it a different way. Or the four of us, would, the, the other four would make suggestions. It sounds excruciating yes. and it was a little bit initially. But after a while, I think what happened was we suddenly became focused on the book as a whole and because we were all working on scenes, no one sort of owned a particular piece of work and so egos tended to drift away, you know. It became more about let's get this as good as we can get it. Mm. Um, and, yeah, so it, it initially it was quite daunting turning up and particularly those who hadn't written much before. Yes. But we did have ways from the word go we thought okay we can't just sort of if someone presents something that's a bit not great we can't do, we can't just say look that's boring or that's dull we needed to come up with a solution so our feedback would be more like something like um uh oh do you think it would be better if instead of saying this he said that mm. so with feedback, we would also always try and offer a suggestion. So, so you mentioned that you had systems, particularly systems to get that unified voice. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us a bit about that? Well, we had, uh, for example, Denise, again, lovely Denise, who's an <laughs> organised mind. Uh, she would have like a timeline with, um, you know, the dates everyone was born in, you know, uh, all mm. of our characters were born in. Uh, it, I'm swear if I called her up now and said what star sign was, you know, Moira, she mm. could tell me, you know. Yeah. she was, And so we each had that. We had physical um, pictures of people that, you know, famous people that we thought these characters might resemble. Mm. We had... Um, uh, when, when all the scenes went around by email, they all had a header at the top with the version, the date it was last worked on, who worked on it, what was to happen next, what had happened in the last scene. So it was very, um, that was quite tightly controlled because initially it was all over the place because mm. we would have a character walking from one room to the next with, you know, walks into one room with a wine glass, comes out with a teacup. <laughs> 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 She's blonde in one scene, brown-haired in the other. But we... Um, 
yes, and because the plot became more complex, yes. too, we really needed to uh, work with a lot of these. Uh, we had a timeline, we had a character sheet, we had maps of the houses that we were dealing with. Because with five people, we needed to make sure we were literally on the same page. Mm. Did you know what was going to happen at the end, early on, or did you let that let that unfold as you guys just kept on going? Well, that's quite funny because we finished the book. We finished finished the first draft, and it was funny. We thought, right, first draft's finished. We all go away um, privately, read the book from beginning to end, the draft from beginning to end, mm-hmm. and we'll come back. And of course, I was reading, and I was absolutely horrified. It was just awful. <laughs> um, and I thought, oh God, the other, what do the others think? And when we came back. Everyone uniformly said this is awful because we. I think we realised immediately what was lacking. The ending was really boring. It lacked a lot of um, some twists and turns. It was frankly, it was pretty dull. It had the good basics uh, basis of a of a story, but it needed a, a, a real rocket. So we had a major surgery, um, particularly with our lead male character who uh, I remember saying when I read the first draft well when he's on the horse the horse is more interesting (laughs) when he's chopping the wood I want to hear from the wood (laughs) rather boring so we did we had to shape his character a lot differently we had to inject some uh, some interests of his uh, we had to and and then we put in a lot of twists and turns and and I think um and we're told it's a page turner, and I think, thank God, we did uh, sit down and um, really go through that first draft, and we just thought, no, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it properly. We'll start yes. again, basically. So. so after you were horrified, you were all horrified at that first draft, how long until you had a second draft that you were okay, happy well, with? We didn't really have much of a break. What we did, I think we started writing in April 2010, 11, sorry. And we finished in about October 2013. Mm-hmm. So wow. we didn't really stop. And uh, it's quite funny. But we uh, initially we had, we would meet, I think, probably every two or three weeks. Mm. And then halfway through that period, we suddenly, I think it was just before the first draft came back, we suddenly clicked in and we thought, no, we're going to really you know, get get this book done and we uh, spent, we would have met weekly I think then and we spent a lot of time writing and rewriting. Most of the time was rewriting, rewriting, rewriting. Mm. (laughs) And it was funny uh, when we uh, initially were writing the book uh, because we would uh, meet at each other's houses or at the beer garden or something and and our families would... uh, try and track us down. I'd often get calls from my son or one of my sons or my husband saying, where are you again? I said, you know, doing the book, the book. Oh, yeah, that thing. And then after that first year, it was always um, everything changed or even our family's reactions to what we were doing changed. So I would get calls saying, leave mum alone. She's working on the book, the book. (laughs) So the first draft was done by October 2013. No, sorry, that's when we finished. Okay. When we finished, I think we did... Three, four drafts? Right. Yeah, three full drafts, but really four, I think, by the time we did poke around with the last draft as well. Great. So, yeah. So it sounds pretty intense because you're meeting every week. Now, Mm -hmm. um, speaking for yourself, obviously, when you had to go away after the meeting and 
this you were allocated whatever the scenes that you were doing mm-hmm. did you have I mean you've got a full-time job did you have a writing routine did you have a schedule did you have some kind of you know way this slotted into your life well, this is interesting because we've talked about that a lot now um, because the five of us are very busy women. We've all got families. We've all got quite demanding mm. jobs. But um, I think because it was a group effort, a, a group thing, it was almost like being in a sporting team, I think, in that one of you would be flagging and then someone, just when one of you is flagging, someone else has got a burst of energy, you know. Mm. And I think if you're given homework, as it were, to finish by a certain period, you don't want to let the team down. You know, you have to get your bit of work done. And I think sometimes, you know, it's like anything, I guess. Sometimes I'd come home from work and i think, oh, really, I've got to do that scene. But then I think we all actually were amazed at how much we enjoyed it because we were looking forward to see when we met again mm. how the story had progressed and how these characters had changed. And um, I think the group thing really, really helped us because... Well, I know myself and Madeline and uh, Jenny have all written, um, you know, we've got works of fiction in our drawers that we've never sort of, uh, I think Maddie's got one completed novel. But we, um, I think writing in a group really spurred you to put pen to paper, you know. It was a great way to instill discipline. And just, uh, you know, the only way to write is to write. You know, it's it's very easy to find ways to avoid writing, and I've been yes. a journalist for many years, so I know all of them. <laughs> but um, so uh, I, I think it was a really group writing is a really interesting way to um, to get something on paper. Did you continue with the book club during this time? Uh, it did fall off for a while there because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had so uh, we. I mean, as I mentioned, there are more people in the book slots than just the five of us. Yeah. Um, and they met, um, but the meetings, uh, well, I dropped out completely for a few months there, and so did Denise. But uh, it's now back and running again. It's all fine. But um, I think, uh, yeah, it just became very heavy uh, yeah, workload. Sure. So. <laughs> and, and so what happened then? You've, you've done your four or five drafts or whatever, Mm-hmm. What did you think? Did you think, oh, what do we do with it now? How, how well, are we going to send it to? I, I think one of the interesting things is when you're writing, as a lot of your listeners would know, is you need to sort of – it becomes hard to judge uh, when enough is enough. Mm. When, um, you know, we we could really have kept, just kept writing. We could be still there now doing that. I'd probably be tearing my hair out and not a happy person. <laughs> but um, I think we reached a point where we were very happy with the book and – um, we thought we gave ourselves a weekend deadline that this this looks like we'll finish it here, and that's what we aimed for. And it was a weekend where we went away again to the same place where we had the mm. notorious Russian um, <laughs> idea initially, and um, with more vodka this time. Yes, I didn't know. We had a bottle of champagne that we weren't allowed to open until we typed okay. the end. <laughs> but um, yes, it was it was hard, sort of letting go, frankly, and so we wanted to sort of put a a, a rough date on when we wanted to finish. And by then, we had done the last draft and we'd reread it and then we'd tidied up it it again and and checked for literals again and, you know, and then we thought, no, it's ready. And then we sort of looked at each other and thought, well, what do we do with it now? (laughs) And then we thought, oh, look, this whole we couldn't quite believe that we'd finished it anyway. So we thought, well, why not send it to the world's biggest publisher why not just do Why that? Not? So we did. And, um, yes, and amazingly, they uh, 
they picked it up. So, but did you have a contact there? The people always love to know how you get in the door. So, can you tell us your how you yes, got in the door yes. story? Well, I did sort of have a contact, but it, as it turns out, it, it, my contact was a woman I worked with many years previously in a newspaper who was working at Random House, but she was in non-fiction. Mm. So, I did mention, you know, I've written this book, and she said oh, we should send it in, and she couldn't read it, but she said, look, I'll just mention it to the fiction people. doesn't mean that they will read it. And I have heard since then that, you know, that's usually the kiss of death for a lot of, <laughs> for, um, a lot of uh, publishers. But anyway, we did send it in. And um, two weeks later, I was at work and I got a phone call. I got an email um, saying they were, couldn't put it down and they were very oh. interested. But um, How did you feel? Well, it was very funny. I was at, at work in quite a busy newsroom and I was talking to a reporter next to me at the time and I had my screen open and I saw this log, this uh, random house email drop into my inbox mm. and I was sort of looking at it and I thought, oh, God, what does that mean? And I looked in the subject line and it said, good news. <laughs> so I just said to this reporter, yeah, write whatever you like, I don't care. <laughs> Turned around, called it up and it said, "We, I read your book. I couldn't put it down, read it over the weekend, and we would like to try and publish it. So, of course, I immediately thought, is it the other four having a joke with me? (laughs) So then I ran out to the uh, balcony at work and quickly rang the first person, the first other um, Alice that I could find, and it was Denise, and uh, she actually was driving at the time. She was driving down the Pacific Highway, and I still remember the screen, one long screen, as I told her. (laughs) Oh, wow. That's exciting. So are you, are the five of you now planning on writing a sequel or more books together? Well, we're really tossing up with a sequel or a prequel. And since it's only, the book's only actually been out for three weeks now. But Mm. um, lots of people have asked us about that, which I was, uh, yeah, we were a bit surprised about. Um, But we are both, the five of us are working on uh, two new books. Three of us are writing one. And two of us are writing the other one. Are you so serious? They're very different stories, or oh they're, my they're not um, related to this, um, to the painted sky. But um, no, we're, we're very keen to keep going, and Random House has expressed some interest in looking at them. So um, yeah, we'll see how we go with that. But uh, no, we're very keen. What would you? So you're very keen to write a sequel or a prequel. What would you do differently with the five of you now that you've been through the experience and you know? To tell you the truth, it's all been such a, a fantastic ride, particularly, I don't think I'd change anything. Um, if anything, I'm totally, uh, we are all amazed at how smoothly the process went, how, um, and we're just blown away by the way the book's been received. It's selling quite well, apparently, and um, it's just, uh, we get a lot of people um who know that area and, and think that we have captured it. Because we did actually travel out to Burke uh, to do a bit of research on the book. And uh, I think, thank God we did, because we had a lot of things wrong <laughs> before we went out there. So, um, And I think, I, I don't think I'd, I'd change anything, really. I think um, okay. mm, we're still speaking to each other, which is Yes. Good. <laughs> well, I'm curious to know why three of you decided to write one book and two of you decided to write another book because it's kind of like, you know, George and Ringo saying that they were going to go oh, off God. and write that song. The Beatles analogy. Oh, my God. Um, well, I guess it was sort of an organic thing, really. Uh, well, three of us 
one of us had a particular idea for a book and the other two thought, love that idea. Mm. And so that's initially how the three started. The other two were not so keen on that idea. But also, um, I think it's a way, a, a timing thing too. Um, some of us prefer to work more slowly. I mean, these two books may not, uh, you know, uh, be published yet. We don't know. But um, we're pretty, I think both the two groups of us are very... Um, keen to see Alice's name continue and yeah. I think we've got a good real sense of what Alice sounds like as a writer, you know, her um, style. Mm. So I hope that um, a second book will be published. But both these books are not um, sequels or prequels but that's still hanging out in the air. We may sure. eventually do one but at the moment that's not on the cards. Why the name Alice Campion? Ah, yes, well... The name thing is quite funny because uh, initially when we first started writing the book, we called us, we were trying to come up with a name for the five of us and we thought initially we would um, make an anagram of the word book sluts. Oh, oh my goodness. So we came up with this name Beth Clustus and we decided that she was this Dutch writer. <laughs> so we would often, when we go out to restaurants or whatever, we would always book under the name Beth Clustus. But of course it didn't really... Um, sound like a great name for a, an author. And then we thought, when we were sending in the manuscript to Random House, we thought we'd better come up with a better name. So again, we didn't want to lose the Book Sluts um, link. So we thought, what a, how else can we get this across? So we thought of a last name, um, Huffy, which sounded like a name, but it's another word for a slut. Yes, <laughs> yes. The first name, we thought, maybe we can find... Uh, a word that means book in another language that also sounds like a uh, woman's name. Mm. So we came up with a Belarusian uh, uh, word for book, which was Kira. So our name was Kira Huffy. Oh. So, <laughs> so that was our original uh, original uh, author name. Wow. But Random House pretty soon uh, put us straight there. They sort of said, um, no, something that's a bit <laughs> easier to remember would be good. <laughs> so... Um, in the end, uh, they sort of said to us, why don't you come up with a name that's sort of a, a woman's name that sounds Australian yeah. but is also an easy-to-spell name, it's easy to remember, and that was for the first name. And for the second name, uh, they wanted a name... Well, actually, they suggested a name starting with C is always good mm. because the idea goes that when you go into a bookstore, your eyes... Uh, gravitate towards C's or your, in your line of sight. I don't know what the, how true that is, but we're very happy about it because we're right next to Peter Carey. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's basically... That's great. Mm. Um, well, long may Alice reign. The book is wonderful and uh, it's such an innovative, creative process behind it. <laughs> uh, so thank you so much for your time today, Jane. Great, and the, with the, with the group with the uh, writing, we had started a group fiction uh, website and uh, writing community to sort of foster and encourage group writing. Wonderful, that's exciting! I can't wait to try it myself. I'm not sure how <laughs> successful I'll be, but um, uh, thank you so much for your advice. Thank you. There you go. What did you think? I thought that was absolutely amazing. Like I've written um, a book with one other person mm. and that was challenging enough but five is amazing but you know what I'm thinking maybe the pink fibro book club 
oh. with all 500 members <laughs> should start thinking about what we could do here about writing a book. I think it's amazing. Yes, because what I thought was amazing was how Jane was talking about the fact that they would choose a scene or whatever scenes they were going to concentrate on that week and um, they would all write that scene. Mm. So just when you co-wrote your book, how did you do it? Did you do did you allocate a chapter each? Did you write the no. same chapter? What no. did you do? I'm no, we didn't it. do any of those things. Um, so basically the way we did it was we discussed the basic premise for the book and then we sort of worked out a, an overview because I was working with a friend who's very keen on a spreadsheet plotting situation, oh, okay. which as you can imagine, the pair of us together, it was a fairly interesting process. Mm-hmm. Um because I'm not a fan of the spreadsheet plot. And so then we'd have a like an idea of the story and where it was going and then we'd just start writing and she, you know, she would write until she got sick of it and then she would flick it to me and I would pick it up and I would write until I got sick of it um, and I would find random characters popping up that were not on our spreadsheet and so then she'd have to go back and rework the spreadsheet and uh, we had a bit of that going on. Um, but, yeah, we worked it like that and I wrote the love scenes <laughs> drawing on my many years of Cleo experience um so if we got to one of those she just would immediately flick it back to me and off we went um so yeah so we just we just divided it up it's it's kind of good you know because you always get to a point where you've just had enough of it yes. and then you just send it to someone else and it came back with like Two, two or 3,000 words added, which is awesome. Yeah. So how did you get – what steps did you both take to get that unified voice? Well, we chose someone to write with who works along – like our voices are not completely disparate. Like So mm. we, we had – there's a certain sensibility, a certain flow, a, you know, a pace or an energy to our words mm. that is not dissimilar. Mm. Which helped. Um, we had quite. We were we were writing something that was fun, and we were both taking a an approach to it that it was fun as well, which helps. Um, it was just an experiment, really, that ended up getting published, and mm. and then we um, we worked on it like that. So I think choosing I think choosing the right person to work with right from the start is very very important yeah. if you're going to do this. You, you don't want to be writing with someone who writes very very differently to you, yeah. um, because. I think that would be incredibly difficult. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Incredibly difficult. Yeah. Mm. So um, choose a voice that's not dissimilar to your own and it's a lot easier to actually, you know, keep the uniformity going. And I think we almost created like our um, our pseudonym mm. it almost became a third person. Yeah, you know. Right. It was kind of like, oh, what would she do now sort of thing. So she, mm. she kind of became her own entity yeah. and became her own voice yeah mm. Mm. and um what who was the organizer out of you two because so <laughs> do you, you, you really gotta... need to ask that <laughs> <laughs> yeah okay so it was your friend. it was the other person yes. yes i think that when you co- co-write a book someone needs to be the organizer and with alice campion out of the five people there was clearly some i mean imagine all the versions five mm. versions floating around yeah, oh, yeah, yeah yeah there was clearly someone who was the organizer and who got people in line and yeah. who said this is how you name your files and this is what you got to do yeah. and don't yeah. you know make your changes on the wrong version or i'll yeah. chuck a nanny yeah. so, so yeah. that wasn't me yeah in our relationship that was not me um but what i probably was and i think that this is the other 
other thing to think about. Like it's not just your writing skill set that you're bringing, mm. it's your other things. Um, so I was the person who drove, I think I was the person who drove the writing forward in the sense that I write quite quickly and she does as well Mm. but it was like well I'd write my words and send them to her and then I'd be like well where are yours you know Mm. um so I did that and I also drove the we had a social media presence we had a you know we did some um we had a blog Mm. I did that we had um a twitter you know uh handle I did that so you know I I brought those skills to it as well so yeah but she was most definitely the person who kept us on track. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Well, I, I remember I ghost wrote a, a book once and so there were a couple of people who were the, you know, the names on the book mm-hmm. and they were essentially, it was their ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was ghostwriting, but because of the sheer volume of it, we needed a second ghostwriter because of mm. the deadline. Nice. And so that was wrangling four people. And mm. I didn't sign up to be the wrangler, mm. but no one else was wrangling. Mm. and in the end I was just having I was losing my losing my mind (laughs) I was actually losing it at the at everyone about their versioning and all of that sort of stuff it's just so important to be able to be so particular and clear because you waste a lot of time changing different you know the wrong version Mm, anyone thinking of co-writing make sure you get somebody who's an organizer Hmm. so let us move on to our app pick for the week and our app pick for the week, uh, or web pick, is called, it's quite cute, it's called The One Minute Writer. Mm-hmm. And they say you have 1,440 minutes a day, use one of them to write. So what they do is they have a writing prompt. So they have, you know, uh, for example, uh, a writing prompt might be the word panic or a writing prompt might be um, zombies or um, fire. And what you need to do, they've got, you can go to the site and there's a timer on there, but really you could just use your own timer. And press the timer and it's a countdown and you just need to spend 60 seconds or less writing a response to the daily prompt. Very clever. Hmm. You know, just, just a simple thing that you can do on the bus or on your commute even. Just work that writing muscle. Yeah, exactly. Just get yourself into that habit. So cute idea. Cute idea. Yes. Speaking of cute ideas, yes. what's our working writer's tip for this week? Oh, yes. I'm going to ask you this question. Oh, no. Because I hear this a lot. I love it when you throw them at me Mm-mm-mm-mm. and I have to come up with an answer. Yes. Yeah, okay. I'm ready. So freelance writers, so freelance feature writers, they often ask how often do you need to pitch ideas to editors or, or how many pitches should you have out at one time? Because some, some of people just put, put one pitch out and wait and wait and wait and they mm. could be waiting for four weeks or something uh, and then, you know, they get an answer and they put, the, they, they put their next pitch out but you're not going to make money if you do that. So uh, how often do you need to pitch? Um, I think my response to that is probably as often as you need to, which is not going to be very helpful, so I'm going to have to break that down a bit. Um, I think what you need to do, and this is the, it, it took me a few years to work this out. It took me a few years of being completely inundated or completely not busy at all mm. and then panicking and sending out a million pictures and then mm. being completely inundated. Mm. Um, it took me a while to work it out. But basically what you need to do, I think, is work out how much money you need to make. Yeah, come down to the brass tacks, Mm -hmm. what do I need to cover my expenses? And then you need to pitch enough that you're going to basically be able to maintain on a weekly level some form of income. So even if you're waiting six weeks for a 
a payment, which you can wait six weeks for a payment, mm-hmm. um, that there'll be money coming in. So the way I tend to do it is I would never, ever pitch out four 2,000-word articles mm-hmm. on the same day that require three case studies and four experts each mm-hmm. because the chances of them, I mean, you know what, you may get no response to any of those, but you might get a yes to three of them. Yeah. And they're all going to be due at the same time. And suddenly you're in absolute chaos trying to get these things done. And they're long-term, like a story like that is really what I consider to be a long-term feature article. It takes a few weeks to really pull, a, particularly if it's a complicated case study story. Yeah. So I try to have like one of those on the go and then I try to fill in with other things, you know, smaller pieces that I can turn around in a short, a shorter a period of time. Mm-hmm. So I'm only pitching bigger story. I'm not pitching four at once if they're bigger stories, but I will pitch one larger story and um, a couple of smaller stories to make sure that I get the income that I need on a weekly basis, not even just monthly, but weekly. Um, what about you? So um, so that is if you, obviously you're writing books and doing a lot of other things now. I but am. In, when yes. you are in those periods when you are writing feature writing full time, mm-hmm. is that generally the guideline? So one larger piece and three, sorry, two or three smaller pieces. Is that what you're saying? Well, if, if for a... Um on a monthly basis, if I was only relying on freelance on feature writing, yeah. probably two larger ones and pay I'd be aiming to get yeses on two larger ones and um say three or four smaller ones for a month. Yeah. Okay. What about it, you? I would yeah, I I'm quite similar in that um I kind of judge it more on how many I've got going at the time. At the time. Yeah. So I probably I'm starting from zero with that, yeah. Yeah, right. So I probably um, aim to have about five uh, on the boil at the time. Yep. So yep. five yeses to commissions, but they've all got different deadlines, of course. But yes. once I have, once I know that a deadline's coming up, it's about to be filed. I need to make sure that I have a pitch in the works that's uh, about to come through and that that's an editor's right. going to yeah. say yes to. So yep. typically, I think when I'm writing full time, I have five on the go. If I'm really busy and going a bit crazy I probably have eight on the go but yeah that's a bit too much um so yeah you want to basically I think the thing to do is to have in your head that you want the work to be rolling on so you want to be writing something you want to be organizing interviews for something else you want to be doing interviews for something else like I think you you want all your pieces to be at different stages so that you're not yes. trying to write 10,000 words yes. over a weekend that's yes. kind of that's my main aim these days. Although sometimes that happens. When Although that does happen, yes. even to the best of us, yes. Mm. But I, I do try my best to avoid it. That's a good one. Okay. So hopefully, listeners, um, you found that particular one useful because the we've got, we had so many people ask us that question, we thought we'd address it in the podcast. Hmm. So that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. What are you doing for the rest of the week? Well, um. I'm answering questionnaires because I'm um, doing promotion stuff for the Mapmaker Chronicles. I've got some interviews lined up that I need to to do, and I'm and I'm I'm also rolling straight into the school holidays at the end of this week. So um, whatever I am doing, I'll be doing it with my two small friends by my side. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I have to plan my next couple of weeks quite carefully. It all okay. gets a little bit hectic. Yeah. Wow. What about you? What are you doing? I've got to look for my passport because I'm, <gasps> I'm shortly going to get onto a plane. Uh, by the time this podcast comes out, I will be in Phoenix, I think. Mm. 
Yes, uh, at a conference. So I will be watching a lot of box sets on the plane as I attempt to, you know, while away 16 hours, hours or something, 20 hours. hours. Yeah. yeah. But thank you, everyone, for listening. We really appreciate it. And thank you for all of your questions and comments. Feel free to email us, podcast at writerscentre.com.au. You can find Alison on social media where? You'll find me on Twitter at at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And you'll find me on Facebook at um, Alison Tate Writer. Wonderful. And you'll find me at Valerie Koo. And, of course, you'll find the show notes, writerscentre.com.au slash podcast. So until next week, thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye. Bye.